Part Five, Chapters Fifty Eight and Fifty Nine of Out of the Shadow by Rose Gollop Cohen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifty Eight. It was hard to get used to the old life again when I came home. It was all stranger than ever. The home, my people, their ways. The children's faces looked lean and a little pale in spite of the sunburn from running about in the streets. Our couch now stood supported by a grocery box. The kitchen looked like nothing more than a black hole. The meals were chance and meagre. Oatmeal gruel for dinner. I had good teeth and digestion, and I craved substantial food, meat and potatoes. I craved variety. Once, when I had first met Miss Wald and was feeling downcast as I was leaving the settlement to go home, she urged me to tell her the cause. But I did not know what to tell her, how to put our dull existence into words. She was thoughtful for a moment. Then she gave me some money and said with great earnestness, "'Will you do something for me? Will you go and buy a good, good supper, you all?' I had wondered then what a meal had to do with one's outlook on life. I knew better now. In the shop where I found work soon, I felt more and more disgusted with conditions. I found the life almost impossible. My sister and I were working together in a large new loft. Half of it was occupied by cloaks, and the other half by a contractor of skirts and capes. Sister and I were working on the skirts and capes. There were seven of us at the finisher's little table, besides sister and myself, two other girls, and three men. The room was not bad to work in, for there was plenty of light, and though the table was small, those of us who did not mind stretching out for the scissors and thread could sit a little distance away and so have more space. But it was in other ways that life was made impossible. There was one man in the shop, the designer and sample-maker of the cloaks, to whom the other men looked up. He wore a white collar and a coat at work, and thought himself clever and witty. Whenever he was not busy, he would come and amuse himself by telling obscene stories and jokes. He did not like me, for when I had first come I had managed to gather courage to ask the boss whether we girls could not sit at a separate table. The news of this unusual request soon spread, and I began to be looked upon as one who put on airs. The tailors were not good enough for her to sit with. One asked me, Do you expect to make the world over? So it was quite understood that here was a girl who must be downed, and the designer, soon learning what I was most sensitive about, sought to do it with his jokes and stories. And whenever I saw him coming, the blood in my temples would begin to beat like a hammer. One Friday he came, placed himself where he could see my face, and began in his leisurely way, sure of being listened to. I was at a wedding last night. There was a burst of laughter. The men foresaw what was coming, and he, encouraged by the effect he was making, continued after a moment of significant silence. He talked as he had never talked before. He talked of the most intimate relations of married people in a way that made even the men exclaim and curse him while they laughed. We girls, as usual, sat with our heads hanging, and I was aware that sister's face almost touched the work in her lap. His eyes were on my face, and they were hurting me. I was thinking that I could not even hide by merely pretending not to hear as the others did. Suddenly a feeling of rage shook me. Why did he pretend? Did pretending cleanse our minds from the filth thrown into them? Then I felt that if I could only stand up, if I could only stop pretending at this moment, I could never quite be a part of the filth I had absorbed. The blood beat so in my head that I was half-blinded at the thought of showing myself so openly. Then I rose, and scarcely knowing what I did, I flung the cape from me. Its purple silk lining caught on a nail in the wall opposite and hung there. 
and i cried to them half sobbing you have made life bitter for me i pray god that rather than that i should have to go into a tailor shop again i may meet my death on my way home all this seemed to have taken a long long time and i gradually realized that it was very still in our corner of the shop and that now it was the men who sat with their heads hung and sister was standing close to me i took my coat gave her her little shawl and we went out in the half-dark hall her face as she turned it up to me was pale and her lips trembled you go home she said but i am not going it is not as hard for me because the men think i am too young to understand and i could not make her go with me she would not lose the half-day she would not lose the place and she went back into the shop and i went down into the street i walked away from the building and turned and looked at it i was leaving the shop all sweatshops when the idea had come to me i could not have told but the thought of going to look for another job in another sweatshop was somehow out of the question i sauntered along through the street what now housework was the only thing left to me i shrank from it my experience had shown me what life might mean as a servant a drudge in someone's dark kitchen sleeping on chairs eating at a wash-tub since the corloves i had learned that eating at the wash-tub was the general rule being looked down upon as an inferior for whom anything was good enough a year or two of this and i would be coarser and cruder the life would grow upon me i would lose all sensitiveness i would cease to care suddenly i wondered why i should not go and talk to miss wald about the shop i had confessed to her about so many other difficulties our own and those of our neighbours and she had always helped us out perhaps she could help here too we had come to feel that there was nothing she could not do but the next moment i thought with shame of letting miss wald know to what i had been listening in the shop of letting her find out what my mind had been fed on but my little sister is sitting there and listening and i am ashamed to talk to miss wald another woman during the next night and day i fought it out with myself beside the sense of shame there was the obstacle of not being able to express myself well enough in english it was so easy to be misunderstood and misconstrued people busy people listened to your stuttering and blundering and finally brushed you aside and this would be particularly hard to tell however i was sure of one thing that miss wald would listen to me patiently and try to get to the bottom of what i was saying but would she think it possible would she believe me or perhaps this thing that appears so horrible to me is not so horrible after all sunday morning at ten o'clock i started for the settlement miss wald was not yet down she had worked hard the day before and had been up late would i go up to her room i found her mother with her and another woman miss wald moved a chair for me near to her couch and introduced me at the sight of the strangers my mind became altogether confused and i heard their voices as though in a dream i heard her mother ask is miss blank french miss wald laughed why because she is blonde so the french are dark i thought my mind fastened on this as though it were very important and i kept thinking so the french are dark then i thought that the strangers must be wondering why i was there the thought also came that i could still go without saying anything about the shop but suddenly i leaned over and whispered to miss wald that i must see her alone she glanced at me quickly laid her hand on mine in my lap and pressed it affectionately as she talked to her visitors at last they were gone they seemed to have gone quite suddenly 
what happened after that i could never remember except a look of horror in miss wald's face and the words why ruth they always told me they assured me that oh that place is not fit to work in chapter fifty nine monday morning at eight o'clock i went to the nurse's settlement as the outcome of my confession to miss wald i was to learn how to make shirtwaists in their little shop and now i was to know miss anne o'there the woman who made a great difference in my life the shop was on the top floor in the east broadway house to get to it one had to pass a gaslit ante-room i climbed the stairs and stopped before this room my heart beat violently i was entering on a new life what was there for me now as i opened the door i was surprised then delighted before a large table a woman stood cutting i had already met her and she had made a deep impression on me and now when i saw her i knew at once that she was my boss a short time before this she had come to cut out gym suits for the gym class to which i belonged and show us girls how to make them she had noticed me because i could baste faster than any other girl so i basted still faster and observed her i saw that her ways were so gentle and quiet and she bent over each girl as if she had known her a long time the suits were made in two or three friday nights and the last night she came downstairs with a group of us girls and as she was bidding us good-night i watched her with regret then i saw her glance at me and i was sure she would come and talk to me she did where do you live she asked when i told her she slipped her arm through mine and walked with me a little ways i had made up my mind that she belonged to a family that were rich and accomplished how then could she be so splendid she learned how to sew perhaps that she might be able to teach girls then i learned from someone in the settlement that she was a working woman of working people and a champion of labor this morning she greeted me in her quiet gentle way then she opened the door and we went into a little room where three girls were bending over sewing machines this is miss blank she said and i was amazed this was like coming to a sociable and not a shop in which to work she gave me a seat and showed me how to make buttonholes in a scrap of blue gingham many times that day she came to look at my buttonholes her long slim hands touched mine tenderly her eyes were saying kind things i could scarcely believe that i was not dreaming nevertheless i felt discouraged for years i had been working for money and now i was sewing on rags the little shop turned out to be more and more like a shop in a dream i was reading at the time a book translated from the russian called what is to be done or the vital question by chernyshevsky in this book there was an ideal sewing shop and i felt as if our little shop too was out of a story we all sat in a group in the centre of the little attic room where the best light fell on my right there was a shelf with some materials on the left was a door and behind it a little gas stove which we used at lunch-time the older of the three girls we consulted in regard to the work when miss o'there was not in then there was margaret who was fifteen she was tall and slim and pretty and her grey eyes were bright with fun and laughter she had never yet worked anywhere fan was a jewish-american girl of sixteen she had come from the sweatshop her life at home was hard and she worked as if she had never had time to learn anything right she read greedily even in the street as she walked to and from work and she knew how to drive a bargain her people were in dire poverty perhaps it was this that taught her the art at any rate it would take a clever pushcart peddler to get the best of fan after a few days a machine came for me and i was taught how to make shirtwaists 
and now while i was learning how to make a shirt-waist i was also learning something of the meaning of things or many things that had seemed without meaning miss o'there took my measure and said i was to be her shirt-waist model the fitting-room was a few steps below where everything was covered with blue denim and we called it the little blue room and in this room with her mouth full of pins and while pinning me into a shirt-waist she would talk to me with a few words at a time she slowly opened my mind to one thing after another and i when i found that i could ask questions that it was neither improper nor would i be thought a fool became as greedy as little fan in her reading there were so many things that i wanted to know i wanted to know about our race about myself about the irish on cherry street about the shop the questions went tumbling all over each other in my mind and in my speech but she interpreted each one i did not need to worry about my english she looked at me and she seemed to understand me better than i understood myself and i too soon learned to understand her i became sensitive to her every motion and expression it appeared that there was a reason for everything things were not thrown into the world in a haphazard way she told me something of the history of the irish people of their joys of their sorrows of their humour of their bitter struggle to free themselves and gradually i lost my fear of the irish on cherry street she explained my own race to me she explained the shop what a revelation the men's conduct in the shop could be explained just look she would say what are their lives you know sweating from early to late some haven't even their families here talking it is perhaps the only joy within their reach i suppose it is a kind of joy and when you work like an animal you live like an animal so i began to see tailors in a different light the new world she opened to me did not make me sad on the contrary it had been far more sad to see things happen and not to understand all this time the life of all of us together in the shop was continuing as in a dream it was like a dream to be working only from eight o'clock until five with an hour for lunch for lunch one of us three young girls would get off a little earlier and make cocoa for all we each paid ten cents a week toward it and two cents a day to fan for the fruit which she bought and it was like a dream to sit down to a prettily set table with blue dishes and bright silver which miss wald placed for our use i did not at once fit in with this new life i would sit a little distance away from the table and brood i longed to be with them but something seemed to hold me back at five o'clock when we stopped work one of us three younger girls had to sweep up when my turn came i told her with tears that i did not want to sweep sweeping was housework and housework outside of your own home was degrading you were looked down upon you were a servant and so she would talk to me and would reason with me as my mother had done when i was a child no work was high or low she would explain to me all work is honourable if honestly done then i developed a feeling of deep jealousy i could not bear the thought that all the other girls were as much to her as i was having found her i wanted to keep her all to myself but soon she drew me into the group on saturday fan and i did not work at all because it was our sabbath now i would have been willing to work for my religious scruples were gone but my parents would on no condition consent to it so i was off both days and fan too but the rest worked the half day and after it on many mild afternoons we all went to the park always it was wonderful to me to hear miss o'there explain things there was always something new in the way she saw them always there was a touch of seriousness under everything she treated us all as if we were her little sisters and taught and guided us 
we led a sweet life we received very little money a dollar a dollar and a half two dollars a week at this i wondered for i did not know what this little shop meant that it was established to teach me and the others a trade and that what little money we did receive was merely meant to encourage us or help our families i did not know perhaps it would have been better if i had known i might have tried harder for its success having been trained to work under the lash of a whip it is a question whether i was fit to be left entirely to my honour what was true of me was i think true of the other girls too at any rate one day when i had worked at the shop about a year miss wald and miss o'there were locked up all afternoon in the little blue fitting-room at five o'clock we learned that the shop could not pay for itself we all wept at the news and soon we were scattered all over the city placed at work for which we were best fitted or wherever there happened to be an opening i had kept with some neatness the materials on the shelf in our little shop so i was placed as a stockkeeper in a fifth avenue dressmaking establishment i had great difficulty to keep my job with the few words of english i knew how to read and write but the work fascinated me because i had to use a pencil instead of a needle using a pencil meant education so i begged madame to be patient with me here i learned some new words and a little spelling while labelling the stock we worked regular hours but often the girls had to stay overtime for which they received twenty-five cents supper money we worked from eight until seven we entered the brownstone building through the basement felt about in a pitch-dark closet where we hung our clothes and stood about in the dark hall adjoining the kitchen and peeped in curiously at madame's coloured domestic help hustling about until we heard the bell upstairs tinkle for us the dressmakers were three sisters the oldest was a large woman with grey hair stern-faced and an uneasy self-conscious look in her eyes she had charge of the waist-lining she kept her girls about her in a group and her face never relaxed for a moment to any of them the youngest had charge of the waists she was small and pretty and i never heard her speak harshly to a girl the middle sister was madame k she was good-looking and she had a tall slender pretty form when she came into the room all the heads bent lower over their work it was then that the uneasy self-conscious look came into the grey sister's eyes yet i did not think madame k unkind she was the only one who it seemed to me understood how really difficult for me was the work i was doing while she was often impatient and spoke harshly she was also sometimes kind after i had worked a couple of weeks i asked her whether i was doing any better i was anxious that she should not be the loser by having kept me why yes she said in her brisk manner then she looked at me and her busy fingers which were draping a piece of silk stopped for a moment madame k rarely took time to look at any one why she said you are a queer little thing she said it as if she were seeing me for the first time her admitting that i was doing better meant much to me it helped me keep the job as long as i did for i had to put up with hardship and a great deal of humiliation i missed the congenial spirit of our little settlement shop all for one and one for all here it was more as in the sweatshop each one for himself i had not made friends with any of the girls all but one of them were americans when i made blunders they could only stare at me and i thought them proud and unkind this one girl was irish and when i had learned to understand her and her brogue i liked her she worked on the skirts and she often came into the stock-room to baste on a large table that stood there she kept her book of measurements open before her i glanced at it curiously one day do you know how to write these 
she caught me up not these things i pointed to the fractions well you better learn she said one of these days madame will call you into the fitting-room to write the measurements and if you don't know how that day i spent the half-hour lunch period writing fractions it was in this way that i liked best to learn because i could see the use for the thing i was learning of the greatest interest to me here perhaps were the garments from these i tried to get an idea of the wealth in the world and the lives of the wealthy people as light and as flimsy as some of these garments were their expensiveness was evident and suggested to my imagination heaps of gold coins everything seemed an occasion for the wealthy and there was a garment for each occasion a dinner gown a tea gown a morning gown an afternoon gown an evening gown an opera gown a ball gown a street gown some of the customers fitted two and three at a time when did they wear them all what else did they do beside attending balls and dinners at fitting time it was my part to take the garment from the girls and carry it into the fitting-room to madame k so i soon began to know many of the customers by sight their looks and bearing did not suggest simple homes i pictured mansions and hosts of servants my reading helped me in the picture-making the stock-room was a little dark room that served also as a passage between the workroom and the fitting-rooms a heavy portiere hung at one door hiding the workroom from the fitting-room looking into these two different rooms was like looking into different worlds in one the workroom the girls sat with their heads bent muscles tense faces dull or absorbed stitching silently here it was always silent for either one of the sisters was always there or both the faces and the clothes of the girls suggested their life the life that i knew in the other room through the portiere many hours of the day one woman or another would be standing before the long mirrors gazing at herself beside her madame k kneeled with the long train of her black silk dress spread behind her on the green carpet here there was always a light babbling which i could not help overhearing there were often little bursts of confidences i know i looked well last night because the women were asking me whether i was not growing fat usually it was on clothes yes i like my hat and it was a bargain this time it was only sixty-four dollars sixty-four dollars father would have to work six weeks for sixty dollars i received four dollars a week it came quite natural to figure it so but i felt no envy and no resentment i worked here until christmas or rather over christmas christmas eve two of the girls had to stay overtime to finish a gown that night i sat in the little darkened stock-room and waited to pack it downstairs i knew the coloured man was waiting to deliver it from where i sat i could see the whole workroom dark except for the one corner where the two girls sat bending over the white satin gown between them one of the girls was weeping i had often thought her proud but now she did not look a bit proud she looked so human and lovable tears were running down her little straight nose whenever the tears came she would turn away a little that they might not fall on the small pink roses she was stitching on to the hem she reminded me of the many times i had been felling sleeve lining until late at night after the other workers were gone End of chapter fifty nine